0: 2010 lecture discussion number 18 on the eighth mystery so this is the mystery of iniquity it's second thessalonians 2 7 through 9 the eighth mystery it's the mystery of the man of sin again second thessalonians 2 3 he's called the lawless one he's called the son the son of perdition so that means he has what That means he has a father. Absolutely correct. The son of perdition. There's also what then? There's a father of perdition. So you have to identify who's the son, who's the father. If I have a father and a son, then I must have something else if I'm a counterfeiter. Let's get off track real fast. What must I have? I must have a triad of some kind. We'll get to that. So I must have somebody in the position of the Holy Spirit who he is, the false prophet, who he is is a very, very great mystery. And maybe someday we'll take that on. He has an identity as well. But he's called the son of perdition. He's called the desolator, Daniel 9.27. The wicked shepherd, as you know. This is all about Zechariah 11. He's the seed of Satan. He is the son of Satan. He is the offspring of Satan, Genesis 3.15. And he is the beast of Revelation 11.7. So that is our eighth mystery. That's where we are. Now, those are but a few of the names of the Antichrist. I just rattled off a bunch of names of him. That's what he's called. And 1 John 2.22 calls him the Antichrist. That's who most of us know. And we should expect, of course, naturally, expect that each of his names that we are given, each of his names have something significant to say. How's the sound, by the way? It's bothering me. It's reverbing on me for the first time in months. So, I don't know why that is. How's it sound to you folks? Am I too loud? Too soft? Am I easy to hear? Too loud? Yeah. I don't know where the reverb is coming from. Let's cut the volume just a hair and see if we can figure it out. I'm going to have to obviously put more tiles on the back wall. Anyway, the, the names. He has all those names. they rattled them all off. Each name has something to say. Obviously, you go out and you do what when you know there's a whole bunch of names out there. What do you do now? As a good Bible student, what do you do? Yeah, you make a list of all the names and then what do you do? You try to figure out what name means what. Each name has something to add to the total name, if you will. They're all little pieces and you put them all together and you get a picture of the Antichrist. Each name will give you a specific characteristic. Obviously, if he's called the wicked shepherd, who's the sheep, right? If he's called the seed of Satan, what does that mean? What law is he breaking? Where is perdition? Who is he desolating? All of those things fit together and form a complete whole. And so that's what we should do. And it would be wise to study the assigned characteristics of each name, compile them. If you do, you will understand the total work of the Antichrist. It's called his destructive work, as contrasted as compared to what? He's the Antichrist. He has a destructive work. Who's he contrasted with? Who's he compared to? The Christ. The Christ has a saving work or a redemptive work. So I have an unsaving work and I have a redemptive work. I can compare them. They'll actually, they're, they're like bizarro world in the real world, right? They're, they're opposites, but they align up. You have this stark contrast to Christ with the Antichrist. You see, it's both expected and wise to take Christ and what he does and what he says and what his names are and what his titles are and and put it next to the Antichrist and look at them side by side because you're going to note one is a counterfeit the counterfeit is the Antichrist against the true okay that's what we're doing and this evening we're going to go back up a little bit I'm going to reinforce some stuff this is foundation work cementulous you am going to add some rebar here today. I wanted to take on Judas' thief. And so that was my goal. I was going to explain why he's called a thief. What else is he called? Son of perdition. What else is he called? Thief, son of perdition. In the New Testament, Judas has these things assigned to him. He's called the son of perdition. He's called the devil. Who calls him that? Christ calls him that. God in the flesh calls Judas the devil and also calls him the son of the father of perdition. What else is he called? He's called a thief. Obvious question. What's he steal? What's the crime? What's he got? Is he a petty thief? Do you suspect he's a petty thief? Took a couple of bucks? That's your position on Judas. You have greatly missed the crime that he has committed. Greatly missed it. He's stealing something. What's he stealing and who's he stealing it from? Why is he called a thief? He's also called, and this is very important, that man. Not any man or a man, but he's called that man. Specifically referred to as that man. Who calls him that? Christ. uh, Christ calls him that man, the son of perdition, the devil. But I think the most important one that he's called uh, that solves so much of who he is and what he's doing, he is called a guide. He's a guide. So what's the obvious question? Who's he leading? Who's he guiding? Where is he guiding them to? What's his plan? He's also, of course, in the Old Testament called all kinds of things, Uh, As you know, wicked shepherd. Well, we're, we're going to end up hopefully at thief. I mean, if I go fast enough, I just want you to know that Judas has titles and most of those titles are given to him. Three out of five are given to him by Christ himself. So hopefully we get to thief and we're going to try to determine the full scope of that word. What it means, what was stolen, who did he steal it from? Why did he steal it? Because as you're aware, you need to know that, of course, because there's no study of the eighth mystery that can be conducted without going through Judas. Judas is the is the foundation stone, if you will, the linchpin of the eighth mystery. So we got to solve why Judas is called those things and what he's stealing. And for no other than the obvious, Jesus Christ, the God-man, calls Judas the devil. Don't ever forget that. Not a devil. Some of your Bibles will say a devil, but if you study the Greek, and this is where uh, Jeffy is so correct, bad on Kansas. Can't help it. He's emotionally attached. But he's absolutely right here. This is the value of studying the Greek so that you understand definitive articles, so you understand plurals, so you understand context. I'm hearing the reverb firing at me again. There it goes. It goes away and it comes back. I wonder what that is. In any event, we have to study Judas for the obvious reason that Christ in John 6:70 70 calls him the devil and he calls him that man in Matthew 26:24 the devil and that man. Think about that for a second. Let me put that on the board for you. He's a son of a father. So, and he's called the devil by God and that man. And now, who's calling him that, by the way? Christ is, and Christ is the... He is the... What? So, I have a God-man, and I have a opposite. I have a devil-man. And Christ calls him both devil and man. The devil, that man, a specific man. God in the flesh says this about Judas. He's saying that Judas is this And this, that's an extraordinary thing, the Lord God Almighty, the creator of all things, the one who is outside of time, the creator of time, he calls Judas, devil, man. What's the obvious question? And a son of perdition. That's Christ's description of him. What's the obvious question? How can he be both devil and man? At the same time. And we should expect that again. You know the contrast. I should have a contrast. And I do. Christ God himself does what? He adds humanity to himself. So Satan would naturally attempt to counterfeit that wouldn't he? Satan would have some kind of Satan humanity wouldn't he? Some kind. Notice how I say it. He can't duplicate it. That's the church phone. It's never for me here. Maybe that's somebody that wants to know if Kansas is still in the tournament. Tell them no. Tell them not. And the huge price, yes. every time Bill picks Kansas, down they go. Down. As soon as I knew Bill picked Kansas, I just ran screaming from Kansas brilliantly again, I must admit. Is there a possibility I could win this thing? Yes. Why? Because I have Kentucky. How am I looking right now? Pretty strong. Yay, me. Okay, I can also lose, which I have almost every year. Well, every year except once. But this year, if I win, how huge is the prize? Oh, my goodness. I think it'll be a new car or something. Okay, I thought that would get us past the phone call, but it's not doing it. We'll keep moving. Satan is going to have some kind of Satan humanity. He cannot duplicate. Wow. Wow the hypostatic union. He can't do it. But he can have some kind of human devil thing going on. And it said so in Genesis 3.15. It's going to happen. In John 15.1, Jesus declares that he is the true vine. So what should you expect? If Jesus is the God-man, the counterfeit is going to be the devil-man. If Jesus is the son of life, the son of heaven... God in the flesh from heaven then we'd expect there would be a son of perdition if Jesus declares that he is the true vine what should we expect somewhere in scripture the antichrist is going to be defined as the vine of evil he be defined specifically he's called the vine of Sodom Deuteronomy 32:28 through 35. Revelation 14:19 19 says an angel is going to come with a sickle and grab the vine of the earth. And that is a picture of the Antichrist gather him up and having faced the wrath of God, the true vine. So the true vine is going to face the vine of the earth or the vine of Sodom as well. And there is going to be a conflict between the two of them. We should expect that. We'd also expect that Satan would send an anti-spirit, as I started out to say. He should send an anti-spirit. If we have a Holy Spirit, we should have an evil spirit, right? And so he does. What's the purpose of the anti-spirit in the book of Revelation? He sends the false prophet. What's the purpose? What's the, what's the Holy Spirit's job? There you go to Abraham, Eleazar, Isaac, and Rebekah. Abraham, the father. Sends the trusted servant, Eleazar, out away to gather the bride and lead the bride to the son she never knows. And he adorns her with silver and gold and prepares her to meet the son that she is betrothed to. That is the picture of the Holy Spirit sent by the Father to find the bride, to gather the bride up. That's the saved and teach them about the son that they don't see. So what would I expect the anti-spirit to do? He's going to do the same thing, right? But in an opposite way. What he's going to do is he's going to lead converts to who? To a marriage. They're going to be part, not of the bride, they're going to be part of the great whore, the great harlot, and they're going to be then led and taught about the Antichrist. And those converts are going to be lied to. I'll get to that in a minute. And they're going to expect the Antichrist to be something that he's not. And they will be led not to salvation, but to what? Destruction. And Laurie and I, I'm watching this TV. I'm watching things go on nowadays. I just see. um, Do you know what percentage of the people of Israel believe that our current government will support them in a conflict against Iran? Do you know what percentage it is? It's four percent. Do you know what it was under the under President Bush? You know what? It was 88 percent believed that we would intervene on their behalf and support them. It's four percent now. They're convinced that the government of the United States is hostile to them. There's only one mistake you can make as a government, frankly, actually two. One is to kill the innocents, the children of God. Kill children. That'll get you in trouble. The other is to attack Israel or fail to defend them. For the first time in my life, we have an openly hostile government to the nation of Israel. Carter hit it a little bit. This guy, we're not hiding it now. That is a phenomenal thing. That, I can't even begin to talk about what that is. But it just it just stuns me to watch this. But anyway, we'll have an anti-spirit. He's going to glorify and magnify the Antichrist. He's going to lead converts and believers to the Antichrist where they will be devoured. It says in the Bible, it says in Zechariah 11, that he eats them. He strips their flesh off and devours them, grinds them into pieces. So this anti-spirit would then be a counterfeit and would oppose the Holy Spirit. This, as you know, is the false prophet of Revelation 13, 11 through 18. It's the third member of the satanic triad. When I say that... You gotta know that. You gotta know the difference between a triad. That's what Satan can do. He can have three pieces that make up a whole versus the triune. See, he's going to have a counterfeit versus the triune or the trinity you might call. The triune's a little better term, more correct. The triune are three pieces that are the whole. Now I know that may not make sense to you now, but again, Satan cannot It's a key distinction. Satan, he's subject to the created order because he himself is a created being. He's part of the created order. He is part of space, matter, energy, and time. And that means that he cannot be triune. You can only be triune if you are outside of the created order. So Satan's limited to a facsimile, a fake. But don't forget that the Antichrist is Satan's masterpiece. It is his life's work. He has a masterpiece. Now, along this line, let's look at a, a key verse. One that has confounded scholars for centuries. So, we're going to look at it. See if we can figure it out. Because we're not scared of them Them, there scholars. They just worked on it their whole lives. We're going to take it on for 15 minutes here and see if we can solve it. Okay, maybe a little longer than that, it took. 9-1, that's where we'll start in Revelation 9, 1 and 2. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven to the earth. A star fallen, sorry. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen. And that's a key word. So in other words, he's already fallen, right? I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, almost every scholar agrees this is who. I have a fallen star, a fallen angel, and he he, he fell at some time previous, and now he has fallen, and he has given the key to the bottomless pit. Who is it? Most scholars say that, yes, that this is the day star of Isaiah fourteen twelve, Luke ten eighteen. This is Satan. And Satan is permitted to open the abyss. Why would he want to open the abyss is the next obvious question. He got the keys. Is he happy about that? He knows what's in the abyss. Where is the abyss, by the way? That's right, underneath Babylon. I have Jerusalem and I have Babylon, right? Every place you go, God has a city, Satan has a city. We have cities. And he wants to get into the abyss, okay? So we go to nine eleven now. there's There's beings in the abyss if you read it, it's extraordinary, and we've that's one of my favorite chapters by the way, in all of the bible the uh women haired lion teeth things uh, these are really cool, and they won't be if you're here though, but it's a wonderful, wonderful passage because it tells you what is going on prior to the flood. And they had, as a king over them, these creatures, they had a king over them. And he is called the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. So, in the abyss, locked up is a king over the creatures, over the beings that are also imprisoned in the abyss. So you got a whole bunch of obvious questions, don't you? Why does Satan want him out of there? Who is he? Who's in there? What we learn real quick is that the abyss has a king and all the occupants of the abyss are subject to the king. So who's this guy? Satan's got the king springing plus whoever else is in there. The angel of the abyss, also called in the Hebrew Abaddon and in the Greek Apollyon. Why does he have Two names, because what does the name mean? It means destroyer. So the king, king destroyer, who has a Hebrew destroyer and a Greek destroyer, or a Gentile destroyer. What's your Bible written in, by the way, in its original form? Jew and Gentile. He's got a Jew name and a Gentile name. Hebrew, Greek, right? Jew, Gentile. New Testament in... Gentile. Old Testament in? Jew. Why does God do that? Why did He pick the Greeks, by the way? Why couldn't He pick something easy like Chinese? Why the Greeks? Who are the Greeks, by the way? You've all seen the movies. Who are the Greeks? Who are the Spartans in apocryphal history? Hmm? Tribe of Dan, yes. That's who they say. uh, That's who they say the Spartans were. That would really be funny to me if that were the case. Who knows? I don't know who the, the lineage is, but God knows, doesn't He? But He likes Greek and He loves Hebrew. Both translate to destroyer. The angel of the bottomless pit will be the destroyer of two groups of people. Who's He going to destroy? He's going to destroy the Jews and he's going to destroy the Gentiles. So he's the destroyer of the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, there are two major views as to the identity of the king of the bottomless pit. One of them is probably best represented by Henry Morris. He will say to you that this is a fallen angel, what he calls the twice-fallen angels. So as opposed to the once-fallen angels. Does anybody have any idea where I could get twice-fallen or where Henry gets twice-fallen angels? Genesis 6, yeah. I have fallen angels who do what? Genesis 6. Cosmologically mix with human beings and create the Nephilim. Okay? He calls them twice fallen angels and he says this is the leader of those angels of Genesis 6 that caused God to do what? Noetic flood. Correct. That's number one view or that is the strongest view. Number two view is that this is You can do this. This is, this is Judas. This is the Antichrist. He's in the abyss. And he is king over the fallen angels of Genesis 6. There's another view that said that it's Satan, but that's very difficult to defend, especially if you've got Satan with the keys unlocking a place that Satan's inside. Satan clearly is roaming free, but you'll see that view as well. But there's two views. It's another fallen angel, but he's a king of the angels from the incident of Genesis 6, what's called the twice fallen angels, or that it is the Antichrist. It is Judas in his own place, the abyss. Okay. obvious question number one, when did the destroyer of the Jews and the Gentiles come to the bottomless pit? Obvious question number two, what event caused his imprisonment? Clearly, the angel of the abyss is second only to who? He's second only to who? Satan. He is king over all the angels except who? The one with the keys. So, this is one powerful being that's in here. All the angels are subject to him. Obvious question Is he the son of the father of perdition? You know the rule, if the son's going to shoot at the father, better hit him. Right? Is this next in line? As you know, Revelation 17:8 says the beast, or the Antichrist, is in the abyss. And that becomes a really good question. When did the Antichrist get into the abyss? of Revelation makes it clear he's there. Is Satan taking the key and getting the beast out of the abyss? Second only to Satan in power and authority. Is the beast the devil man in the abyss? If he is a devil man, is he an angel? Is he an angel man? Yeah, he's a fallen angel man, isn't he? Fallen angel man equals... Devil man, if he is of Satan. So he is either fallen angel, or he is fallen angel man, or he is devil man. Those are really your three choices. So keep going. Anyway, remember Genesis 3.15. This is the seed of Satan that we're discussing. Is the seed of Satan, is the Antichrist, is the son of perdition, is the being that is part of Satan's counterfeit triad that represents the God-man, is he in the abyss? And if he's in the abyss, how did he get there? Does this, in fact, lead to Acts 1, 16 through 25, which is what? The hanging death of Judas. Now, remember, I told you before we started, I am going to solve for you today. Why Judas hung himself. Why Judas is called a thief. Why Judas got the money box. All of that. Everything. I'm going to lay it out for you. You can't miss it. The death of Judas. Judas, it said, fell. When somebody falls in Scripture, what's that mean? Judas fell. We have a tendency to think that that means Judas what? If a king falls, In a battle, what's that mean? Dead. Judas fell in a battle, is how that is used in that particular place in Scripture. So Judas died, and then it says, so that he could go to his own place. The purpose of his death, the purpose of his falling, was so that he could go to his own place. Of no one else is it ever said, except of Judas, that when he dies that he went to his own place. In all of Scripture, no one, in all of history of man, the only one it is said of that when he dies, that he went to his own place, Judas. The only one called the son of perdition, Judas. The only one called the devil, Judas. The only one that Satan himself entered into, Judas. Where's his own place? Obvious question. Is the death of Judas the incident that sent the angel the destroyer, the angel of the bottomless pit, the destroyer, Abaddon, Apollyon. Is that the incident that sent him to the abyss? And is that why Satan is coming with the key? By the way, the Antichrist is very often in Scripture called a king. Isaiah 30:33. 30, You'd expect that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you expect the Antichrist would always be called a king? He's called a king all over the place. But why would I expect him to be a king? christ is a king right? right i'm going to have the same areas that are all going to be clicked off isaiah 30 33 daniel 8 23 revelation 17 12 there's three places where he's called a king he has a crown if he would want a crown you'd expect him to have a crown what else would you expect him to do as king he's got a, he's a king he's got a crown what's he going to do He's going to rule. He doesn't to show up for parades. What's he going to ride? He's going to ride a white horse. Does the Antichrist in Scripture anywhere is he ever described as riding a white horse? Why would he ride a white horse? Because the Christ rides a white horse. What's the white? By the way, where did he get the horse? God likes horses. He has a whole bunch of them, millions of them. Where did he get them? Make new ones. No, nefesh kaya figured out living soul. The Antichrist would want a crown, and he would want to ride a horse, and he does. Another, by the way, as an aside, the majority view of you are the four horses of the Apocalypse. You'll buy all kinds of views or all kinds of books, and and just again, as I've said many times, just because a book is written by a well-known, popular evangelist or author or church pastor, um, and it sells a lot, does not mean, does not correspond to it being accurate or theologically sound. Number one view. The majority view of the four horses of Revelation 6, 1 through 8. The four horses are just like the names. The four horses of the apocalypse are all ridden by the Antichrist. He's riding each one of them, and they are four stages over time. They also present him as inside of time. That's very important. So which is the first horse he rides? Rides the white horse. What's the second horse he rides? He rides the red horse. Then the black horse. Then the pale horse. Each horse means something. And what it does is it breaks into four pieces Things that the Antichrist will do. His totality is one, if you will, but there are four parts and each part has this picture of it as a horse. He's on the white horse. What's that mean? That's how he starts. He's on the white horse. What's he doing? What's the first thing the Antichrist is going to show himself as? He's going to show himself as a king on a white horse. What's the white horse signify in Scripture? Peace. comes in peace. So the first time we, and I don't believe we're going to be here for the Antichrist, I have that pre-tribulational, dispensational, rapture position. You can disagree with me, and that's, that's okay. You might have picked Kansas, just in case. Anyway, white horse peace, the red horse means war. And most have interpreted it to mean this is the destroying of the gentiles jeremiah 4 7 so first he comes in peace and then he starts the war with the gentiles and then the black horse is famine he wants to do something that god has also in typology as well as in fulfillment of that typology what's called the joseph typology joseph did what when he saved the world from famine what did he do he got a storehouse And everyone had to come to him and he fed the world and saved the world from famine as the second in authority to the Pharaoh, right? So the second person of the triune Godhead is called himself the bread of life. Christ would make bread out of nothing, wouldn't he? And so the Antichrist wants to also, however, be the bread of what? Death. He wants to be the food controller. What's the purpose of controlling food? The purpose of controlling food is to cause famine. This is where, see, instead of saving the world from famine, as Joseph did in that typology, the, the Antichrist wants to kill by withholding bread. He wants, he wants to do what the communists orchestrated in 1932, the Holodomor, right? Ukrainian famine. If you've been following that, it's in the news a lot now. It's been coming up because communists always do the same thing. I'm sorry if you're a communist. Any communists in here? You have wandered into the absolutely wrong place if that's the case. Evolutionary atheism, communism, that's what it is. Communism always does the same thing. It kills and it intentionally destroys incentive And that always results in rationing. In the whole of the war, the Ukrainian famine, 25,000 starved to death every day. Seven million died because of that genocide. While the Russians, while the communists, were dumping grain in other markets and not giving it to the Ukrainians, they all died. Now, think about again. I hate to bring him up, but he would be happy that I did. My father is watching... The National Socialists. The Nazi Party rise up in Germany, killing Jews. He is watching the Holodomor. He's watching the Soviet communists withhold food and starve millions of people. He is watching Israel being reborn. What does he think is going to happen? Then he goes through the 64 earthquake. He saw all of it. He was positive positive he would see the rapture. We didn't. He didn't. What was he missing? More earthquakes. Did you notice we had an earthquake the other day? Where this time? Guatemala. Again. There was an earthquake in Kansas, but it had nothing in bringing that up. I can't help myself. (laughs) As I was writing it, I was going, ooh, look at all the jokes I have. So hard okay there is by the way for you that are here an incredible clue as to what motivates Judas: the white horse the red horse the black horse the pale horse now you know why Judas does what he does peace destroying the Gentiles food controller killing people by famine The counterfeit bread of life than the pale horse, which is the destroyer of the Jews. Two destroyers. That's why that position on 9-11 revelation is that this must be the Antichrist. Okay, if we accept the view that 9-11 is the Antichrist reference or is an Antichrist reference, then we would have four more key titles for him. He's the king of the locust. He is the angel of the bottomless pit. He is the destroyer of the Jews and he is the destroyer of the Gentiles. Those four horses. Again. Big clue. Four horses. Now, note the term Antichrist has also two meanings. This again, another reason why you have to be word studiers antichrist 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 its primary definition it means the word means one who is opposed to Christ the secondary definition is one who is instead of Christ there is a difference between opposition and instead of and that tells you now that he's going to do just like the horses he's going to do something in that order he's going to be instead of and opposed to so he starts out being what instead of and then he becomes opposed too. See, it makes sense. Because just as it is, as again, with the four horses that depict four stages, so also the Antichrist name, uh, by definition, describes him having these two halves, if you will. At first, he's going to pose as the good shepherd. He's going to pose. He's going to declare himself to be the Christ, the true vine. How's that going to work? It's going to work really good. Billions and billions of people will believe it. And they're all going to get what? They're going to get a mark, right? Does God have a mark for us? Jeffy's talking about the saved. We have that. We have one. I hope one of the 33 things is a mark. We got a mark. Where's your mark? It's on your forehead. Is the Antichrist going to have a mark? Where's he going to put it? On the forehead. The difference is, is ours is what? Visible to only to God. His is visible to man. If it's visible to man, by the way, that is why I hate to pick on you, but I can't help it. That is why Le- Le- Leviticus 19 talks about the markings on the priesthood of the Pharaoh and what they represent. And we call those today. You didn't do it for this reason if you did it. And don't, uh, don't think that I'm condemning you. I'm not. But you do need to know that there is an invisible mark and that man cannot see. And that is God's mark. And do not mark yourself for man to see you. That's what the Bible says. Why? Because not because you're going to, you know, be beaten. Okay, you may be beaten. But we're all going to be beaten. But you're supposed to know you have an invisible mark. And you're not supposed to. You're supposed to value that invisible mark and you're not supposed to be marked so that men can see. The Antichrist does that. Okay? But he's going to pose as the Good Shepherd. He's going to declare himself to be the true vine. He's going to declare himself to be the Christ. And then what's he going to do? That's how he starts. Instead of, and then he's going to pull the mask off and he's going to reveal himself to be Satan. Inside of him. Evil. The Antichrist has a revelation. He reveals himself to be the spawn of Satan. Pure evil. Where Jesus Christ also has a revelation, doesn't he? Yes, a a revelation. A revealing. Jesus Christ does it on the Mount of Transfiguration. He opens himself up and reveals that he is the Shekinah glory inside of humanity. Okay, But he also has a revelation that he is creator God in the flesh, pure goodness in the book of Revelation when he comes to the Mount of Olives. Now, let's go to John 8.44. This is another very important little piece. You have already solved why Judas took the money box, haven't you? And the answer is, I actually gave this test once, I don't know if Katrina took it. I actually gave it once, and I said, Why did Judas take the money box? You know, the answer I got back, and I counted it as correct. The answer I got back was? Four horses, coach. I gave extra credit if they knew the colors of the horses. That's the answer. Why did Judas take the money box when he and Satan were departed, when they were cast out? After the Passover meal, four horses. why does he argue over the anointing oil? What's the answer? Four horses. Why is he called a thief? What's he steal? What's the answer? Four horses. Why does he kiss Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane? What's the answer? Four horses simple john 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. That is the New King James, and that is as horribly translated as I possibly could find. Because, how many have New King James? Okay, resources is in what? In italics, which means it's not in the text. Also, another reason why you need to uh, understand Greek. Not only do you see anything in italics and stop saying it when you're reading it. Resources is not in the original Greek text. Number two, in the Greek, there is what's called a definite article. What's the definite article? It is the word the. The is definite. It isn't a lie. It is the lie. So let me reread it. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks the lie, he speaks from his own. His own what? What's the next question? What is the lie? Or another way, who is the lie? And that's the correct way to to think that through. For he is a liar and the father of his own, the lie. Now it makes sense, doesn't it? It's talking about a person. When he speaks the lie, he speaks from his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The it refers back to the lie. He is the father of the lie. The lie is a person. What person is it? Is the Antichrist. Clearly, John the Apostle is speaking of the physical offspring of Satan here. His son, the son of perdition. Who, by the way, is called the son of perdition? Thank you. Yes. This is the Antichrist, the beast who was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit. 17.8 Revelation. This is the angel of the bottomless pit. This is the one who went to his own place. This is the king of the locusts. This is the destroyer. This is the lie, Satan's own, the father of the lie, not just allegorically, or, um, but actually physically. The Antichrist called the lie in absolute opposition to the truth. Now, Revelation 13:4. I'm not going to go to it. I'm just going to tell you what it says. It says, who is like the beast? The beast comes out. He dominates the world. The angel of the bottomless pit is called out by Satan, who has the key, lets him out, and the whole world is stunned at this person. Who is like the beast? And that's an incredible verse. The entire world says, Who is like this? It's, a, it's in rhetorical form. The question implies the answer. Who is like the beast? No one is like the beast. No one is like the beast. That's the cry of the whole world. Both marveling and also what? Converted, worshiping, joyous as they go to where? To destruction. He intends to devour them. People who will go towards somebody who intends... You've seen the movies. Don't open that door. Don't believe that guy. People who will go towards somebody whose sole purpose is to manipulate them into eating and tearing them to pieces. Who would do that? Who would go towards somebody that would do that to them? Yes. Yes. Teenage boys, that's right. The whole world becomes a teenage boy. One, that's kind of funny, but I wish it wasn't so funny. The whole world is going to say, Who is like the beast? Be converted by the anti spirit, worship him, and go into condemnation for all eternity. And it, by the way, stands in contrast. See, if I have a cry that said, Who is like the beast? What would you expect in the Bible? Who is like God? And it is. That's the song of Moses. That's Exodus 15, Psalm 71 and 86. Who is like the Lord? There is none like you. Absolute love, mercy, holiness, just, absolute life. None like God. And the Antichrist is the opposite of that. It's absolute as you can get. There is none more evil or wicked who seeks destruction. Okay? Now you know why Judas took the money box. Which horse is it? Come on. How many horses you got? You got the white horse. Is it the white horse? How many white horse people think that's the reason he took the money box is because he's coming in peace. Reason he took the money box is he's gonna destroy the Jews. The reason he took the money box is Famine. The reason he took the money box is going to destroy the Gentiles. Is that why he did it? Okay. I want you to start attaching a horse to his motives and you'll figure him out. Okay. He would be in the instead of stage, pretending to be the Christ, attempting to deceive the nation of Israel, lying about feeding who? The poor. Instead of instead what's he doing? He's orchestrating death by famine. He's establishing the food controlling aspect of his destruction, the black horse. So we, now we can see the money box come into the light. Why is Judas and Satan always have it? Why do they always want it? It has something to do with the black horse. It has something to do with the food controller. It has something to do with famine, death by famine. Obviously the money box connects to the anointing oil because the anointing oil connects to what? Connects to the poor. Why are you putting this anointing oil on Christ when you can do what with it? We can sell it and we can feed the poor. Does he intend to feed the poor? No, he intends to what? Starve them to death. Death by starvation. The kiss, the throwing of the silver, the hanging of Judas. They connect to what? Which horse? Pick a horse. Uh-oh, okay, I'm going to force you to do this. How many vote for the white horse? Three? Never raise your Four? How many vote for the red horse? That should be a clue. How many vote for the black horse? How many vote for the pale horse? You can make a case for the pale horse if the poor were Jews. I'm going to tell you the key to understanding why he threw the silver, why he hung himself, why he, uh, uh, why the kiss. That's the white horse. Gethsemane, the Romans, Malchus, the temple guard, the priest, Judas as the guide. He's guiding. Which horse is that? OK, I got Judas, I got Jews, I have Gentiles. Which horse is he on now? He's the destroyer of the Romans, the destroyer of the Jews, and he's the destroyer of the Gentiles. All of that within the instead-of stage of the name Antichrist. Okay, so begin to wrestle with all of that. Be a detective. Figure out the plan of Judas slash Satan. Never, 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 never disregard the intense wickedness that is Judas, nor his brilliant cunning, especially when Satan has come inside of him, and Satan has only united with one person in all of history, and that is... Judas so don't ever disregard that just as you never 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 billion nevers set aside the omniscience the omnipotence the omnipresence of Jesus Christ the Lord God Almighty never set that aside when you're trying to figure this out okay I thought I'd get time to do this but I don't so I'm just going to give you a few of them what is Judas stealing he's a thief how do I figure it out who is he stealing it from when does he steal it why is he called a thief? And that's going to take us to who? Thief is going to take us to who? How are we going to solve it? Find out who else is called thief. Who else is called thief in Scripture? I've got two Israeli resistance fighters fighting against Rome that are crucified next to Christ. They are called thieves. Why aren't they called enemies of Rome? And by the way, Christ was called what? Is the pizza for me? Thank you. Oh, you're kidding. It really is. (laughs) Who was here last week? I made a joke. I said, we have all these hundreds of people that listen to us by iTunes. And I said, wouldn't it be great if we could get them to have a pizza? How many are out there? Oh, that, there it is. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Come and visit more. We'll have pizza here. I made a joke last week. I said, <laughs> wouldn't it be great if all these hundreds of people would start sending pizzas? <laughs> and they did. And we got one. It says, to Pastor Steve from your iTunes listener. Oh, this poor man stood back here wondering, what in the world have I wandered into? Why am I bringing a pizza to this weird person? He listened to fifteen minutes of this, and he didn't get any pizza. At least you get pizza. Well, whoever you are, iTunes listener, thank you very, very much, and you're wise to remain anonymous. <laughs> anyway, and thank you. We'll cherish that. I hope it's meat pizza. Okay. I should have specified. I never really thought it would We' talked about it. okay. Why does God call these two Israeli resistance fighters, crucified, equidistant to Christ, He also calls them thieves? This is going to send us back to Proverbs 6 as musicians come forward. Because Proverbs 6 is where we started all of this, right? Because you see, Christ describes Himself also as a what? What does Christ call Himself? He's a thief. He says what? Second Peter 3.10, Revelation 16.15. I come as a thief. In the night, pay attention. Christ calls himself a thief. What is Christ stealing? And notice he's like a thief. Notice the distinction. Judas is a thief. Christ is like a thief because he's doing something. Proverbs 6 helps us with that. The Antichrist is a thief. Christ, the Christ, comes into the strong man's house, Matthew 12, 29. Remember that? Remember, we went Proverbs 6, Matthew 12, 29, and he binds the strong man and he takes what the strong man has stolen. So that's where we're headed. So begin to reread Proverbs 6, Matthew 12 again, because that's where we're going to be. Back to where we started. I have led you into a complete circle. And yes, you're totally lost. And we are chasing our tail. That's what we're doing. And... Isn't it wonderful we got pizza? That is really cool. That makes me think of other things now. Wouldn't it be wonderful if one of the hundreds of people in the iTunes would send donuts? That would be great. That would be great. Well, that's yeah, that's for Ishtar. Hey, iTunes folks, we're having steak on Ishtar, First Fruits. So you're welcome to come. Don't identify yourself, whatever you do. Okay, let's rise and be dismissed. Better is one day, page (laughs) seventeen.